The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Absurd Psychology, straight answers without all the bull. Your host is Dr. Gary Bell. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. And today, we are talking about parenting which is like herding squirrels. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Lane Olinhouse, which is a, uh, a parenting advisor, said the quickest way to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. <laughs> also, Bill Cosby said uh, humans are the only creatures on Earth that allow their children to come back home. Now, if anybody has children, you would understand that. Now, there are some crazy things you may have believed when you were a kid, and here are a few. Women got pregnant by overeating. Some sort of creature would come out of the toilet. If you held farts in, they would combine with the next and you would explode. Bank machines gave you as much cash as you wanted for free. Girls peed out of their butts. And that bands waited to play their songs at the radio stations. And last but not least, which I know my mom used on me, if you swallow gum, it will stay in your stomach for seven years. So those are just some levity to get things started. I, I really want to, you know, lean into this topic of parenting because parenting is such a challenge. You know, the first thing is uh, that none of us are really educated on how to be parents. We're often uh, educated based on the model that we see when we grow up. And obviously, a lot of those factors are unhealthy. Um, because our parents didn't really uh, get an education on parenting. And parenting actually can be uh, taught. It's not something that is necessarily rocket science. Unfortunately, we tend to do it experientially, meaning the experience it and learn from it that way rather than get the tools necessary to function as parents and then learn experientially. And, uh, you know, as you know, a lot of people carry on the traditions of what they grew up in because that's what they're comfortable with. And sadly, uh, many times that doesn't work, especially in this day and age when we're dealing with, you know, an intrusion of our lives, internet, uh, television, just all kinds of media, all kinds of social media entering our children's lives, their iPhones and and uh, Androids and all that good stuff, iPads and and uh, Skyping, and it's just an enormous amount of intrusion going on. So here, what we're going to do is back up and just kind of go through basic human developmental needs through the stages. And this was uh, developed by uh, a famous psychologist named Eric Erickson. Now, you know, age zero to one 
and this is so important because if this stage doesn't get done correctly in the parenting, a lot of things fall apart later in life. The first year of life of any child is imperatively critical as far as understanding what your child's needs are during that period. And, and I encourage those of you that have the resources and the ability to be home with your child and be there for your child at all times during that first year of life, if you have that luxury, and I believe me, I know many people that don't, it is so critical to get this one right. Ages zero to one is a stage called trust versus mistrust. And, and here's the deal. Mom is central to this. However, the environment plays an enormous role, and that's because a baby has a very strong, it's called a moro reflex, and that is in their first being born, they have a very strong startle reflex, and that is because mostly what is developed in their brain is their brain stem, which is where our primal emotions are, and also that's what operates all our organs. The other reason that there is a moro reflex is more primitive than that, and that is so that the baby will grip on to the mom while the you know, uh, saber-toothed tiger is chasing her through the woods. So, so you know, that moral reflex is there as a survival mechanism, but more so it's there for the baby to get in tune with its environment. That means they're very hypersensitive, extremely hypersensitive to what goes on around them, noises, looks, how mom, dad, brothers, sisters look at them, how they interact with them. Are Their first evaluation is, are you safe? And if a child does not feel safe, if an infant, a baby, what basically will happen is they begin coping with that problem throughout the course of being an infant and on into their teenage years and on into life. They carry that, my mom and dad are not safe, my home is not safe, and I have to cope with it. That may be being quiet when it's uh, not, they may be in pain. That may be screaming loudly to get a negative attention, which is better than no attention at all. It may be a sense of playing by themselves because the other people are too dangerous to play with. And so it's critical in this time because this is where attachment happens. And attachment is how we interact socially with each other. And this is where that is taught. So, you know, the, the, the next phase we move to, hopefully, if trust is developed, is the sense that now I can begin to develop what's called autonomy. At age two, autonomy, the father is central. And, and that means they're learning about self-control. They're learning about how to be an individual, how to make decisions, how to say yes and no. Yes and no become critical at this phase. And a lot of parents get the yes and no wrong because the deal is when you're setting boundaries with your child, they don't care about the no. They care about how hard it is for you to say the no. So if I'm going to go no or no, you know, or something very, a lot of tone to it, they're going to go, oh, there's a yes in there. So that means I can manipulate you. Also at age two, if it is a, a very dangerous home or a mistrustful home, shame will be used. And if shame is used on a child, meaning, oh, it's terrible, you made this mistake, don't do that again, over punishing the child, overstating your point, what will happen is the child will withdraw and pull away. And that means their attachment to their parents and to their siblings and to whoever else is in their life uh, will become, uh, they'll become less individualized at that point. 
And that, that means that they won't be able to make their own decisions. They'll always have to check in with somebody else to make a decision, which to some people they think that's safe, but also that doesn't develop a very good individual personality. Now, age three to five is called initiative versus guilt. And this is when the child becomes part of the basic family unit. That's when they learn how to share. That's when they learn what's possible in life. That's when they start recognizing the things around them. They start playing with toys in a way that's more creative. That's when they start having imaginary friends and and dreams and, and they begin exploring the world. And that's what we want. We want that initiative going on. But once again, if we have overbearing parents that use guilt and shame to distract them from doing that exploration, what will happen is the child will withdraw and lose that independence and become extremely dependent on the parent. And, you know, parents sometimes want that because they want to feel needed, they want to feel important, they want to feel like they're doing the right thing to protect their child. But the deal is, is we don't own our children and we have got to give them a chance to explore. Yes, we want them to be safe, but that means we need to pay more attention as they explore, not just leave them to their own devices. It calls for us to do more work rather than less work, be more available rather than less available. If we use guilt and shame, we're basically teaching them not to explore and hoping that we don't have to do a lot of work. And I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but it sure is not a great way to parent. Unfortunately, most people are lazy and that's the way they operate. Now, age 6 to uh, 12 is called industry versus inferiority. And this is where a child wants to begin to feel competent competent in their schoolwork, competent in sports, competent in play, all the things, winning and losing is important to them, melodrama, you know, good and evil, those kind of TV shows, all that stuff is very, very important to them because that means they are competent, they're people that are beginning, they're developing as people, they're going to be able to survive, they're teaching themselves confidence and they're teaching themselves that yes, I can do and complete things in my life. Yes, I am going to be a significant individual. Yes, I am going to stand on my own two feet, which is what we want our children to do. However, if they feel inferior, meaning they're bullied or their parents are very uh, authoritarian and, and difficult with them and, and, you know, you fail all the time, you you a C is not a good grade, they, they don't respond well to this negative communication and they respond well during this stage particularly to more positive reinforcement of what they can do and what they're capable of. Now, ages 12 to 19 is identity versus role confusion. Now, this is a very weird stage, and sometimes it happens a little bit earlier than 12. But what really is going on during this phase is kids are looking at other kids, and they're going, hey, this one's wearing gothic. This one's listening to really, you know, suicidal, deep music. This one's listening to, you know, some other style of music. And what they basically do during this period is try personalities on. They try different kinds of clothing on. They try different, all kinds of different things that other kids are doing. And they're looking at them and trying to fit in. And that's why their wardrobes are extremely expensive because they're rotating images at all times, even on a daily basis. They're rotating an image and trying an image on because they don't know who they are. 
They don't know who they are, but they're borrowing from other kids until they form what they believe they are. And usually most people don't really get down to that uh, until they're in their 30s. And even then, sometimes people shift all the way through life. But the bottom line is what they're doing is trying to explore and what parents get afraid of is, oh, my gosh, my kid's going to go goth or, oh, they're, they're wearing, you know, punk outfit or, oh, they're doing this horrible thing. Well, they're just exploring. They're just exploring. If you take it too serious, they're going to go deeper into it. If you just allow them to go through the phase, generally what's going to happen is they're going to move out through it a lot quicker than if you throw up a lot of defenses and anger and, and scared and, and all that kind of garbage at them. You've got to give them some kind of faith that they're going to get through it. Um, you know, human beings will, whether you tell them to or not, if you try to imprison them in a decision, they will find a way to make their own decision, whether you like it or not as a parent. If you tell a kid, I don't want you to smoke marijuana, and they want to smoke marijuana, they're going to find a way. And so we have to understand that we cannot control our child, and we don't own them. We are trying to help them through life. The other thing is, from 20 to 30, the real fear, the real the, the stage that people go through is, is called intimacy versus isolation. And this is when people begin getting concerned. Am I going to have a life partner? Am I going to have a family? Am I going to be loved? Is there a, such a thing as unconditional love? Or am I going to have friendships, work? Am I going to be able to support myself? And during this phase, people go through what's called, uh, Dr. Amon calls it the 1840-60 rule, which is, you know, from 18 to 40, you basically go through life and try to prove to people how much you can make money, how you can have children, have vacations, home, all these wonderful things. And you try to prove to mom and dad and everybody in the world that you know how great of an adult you really are. But unfortunately, the truth is, most of those people really don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about you. So by the time you're 40, you realize that and you wake up and you go, hey, you know, people aren't really thinking about me a whole lot. So why do I need to worry about what other people think? And you don't. And that's when people begin to really individualize, begin to make choices for themselves rather than other people. They're not buying things to show off. Now they're beginning to make their life more what they want. And by the time you're 60, the theory is, Nobody ever thinks about you whatsoever. Now, I know that's sad, but it's kind of humorous, but it's got an element of truth to it. But anyway, during this 18, it's uh, 20 to 30, intimacy is extremely important because it proves that a person is going to be able to make it through life with a partner, that they're going to have a whole and rich life. And that is what that whole period of life is about. Unfortunately, our kids don't grow up as quick. I would tell you that at 18, a uh, year old is developmentally at about what a 32-year-old is today. An 18-year-old maybe 20 years ago is about what a 32-year-old is. And that's because they're subject to so many choices. And the, employee, the employment environment out there is horrible. That means that people do not want to retire you. They don't want to pay you benefits. And basically, uh, these kids have to get out there and make a passionate decision about what they want to do with their life. And a lot of them, it's too overwhelming. So they delay themselves during this stage. Now, 30 to 60 is generativity versus stagnation. 
And generativity means I'm going to live a full and rich life. I'm going to reach out beyond. I'm going to, I'm going to travel. I'm going to do a whole lot of things that I want to do. Stagnation, a lot of people just stay in doing the same thing. I'm just going to work and work and work and save for my kids. And that's not going to always work. It just doesn't always work. Stagnation is limbo, and that's a very depressing life. Now, here's the big deal. At 65 plus, the biggest issue a person has is integrity versus despair. And that means, integrity means I live a life where people know who I am. If they live a life that is indecisive and they've picked bad partners, picked bad friends, picked a lot of people and followed them and never really made a decision about who am I, what happens is people lose their integrity and we find a lot of those people living in nursing homes by themselves and not often visited and it's very sad. Okay, now we're going to move into a thing called temperament. And temperament is what children are born with. And, you know, it is really important to match your parenting style to a child's temperament. You know, the truth is, in my opinion, there are, just like any animal on this planet, there are breeding stock and then there are what are called real people. And there are a lot and lots of people who can breed and manufacture children left and right irresponsibly. And believe me, I work in foster care sometimes, and I can tell you there's a whole lot of breeding stock out there, people that can't get outside themselves to, to have any empathy or compassion for the very children that they create. And then there are real parents, those real parents, the people that really feel for their children and want that unconditional love. And unfortunately, we have both of that out there. Now, Temperaments are important, and this is because if we don't understand it, we don't know how to parent to it. A difficult temperament is often displayed with instability and slowness. They need consistency and patience and objective parenting. That means that a difficult temperament, this child is not showing themselves to be safe. They don't feel safe, like I was talking about. And so what they do is they begin to be very methodical and slow, and they be- begin to be obsessed and less in tune with their parents. And so it requires the parents to slow down and meet that child where they are. Then there's these slow to warm children. And, and I happen to have a slow to warm child. She, she's seven years old. And they thrive on encouragement and patience. They need to adjust to change at their own pace. And by allowing them and encouraging them, they tend to cling better to life and make friends a lot quicker. And we need to to master that. Then there's the easy temperaments that adapt well to most styles of parenting without moderation. And some people are very fortunate to have children. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back to a, uh, the thing called parenting styles. And there's three very broad categories that we're going to discuss. I look forward to uh, talking with you all when you come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. 
You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to go into what's called uh, parenting style, styles. This, once again, is Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. Now, the first two parenting styles are rather strange because... Um, both of them come from a periods, different periods of the United States, different periods of life where one is the authoritarian where life was extremely rigid. There was usually, uh, a, a, you know, a superiority of the father over the mother. There wasn't a whole lot of diplomacy. There was one person is in charge type of parenting. And unfortunately, that parenting style maintains itself uh, today. Now, the parenting styles that I'm going through and the parenting that I'm talking about primarily has to do with the United States. And in, in here in the United States, we follow a philosophy that is extremely important to grasp, and that is a philosophy called rugged individualism. That means that each person must make it on their own. Each person must make their own life, whether they're a male, female, whatever. They've got to make their own life in the United States. And so, when we're talking about parenting styles, our main goal is getting that individual to a place where they can stand on their own two feet and begin to achieve their own dreams. So when we look at a authoritarian parenting, this person usually 
uh, as a parent or as both parents, they set rules without regard for the children. They, they have a system in place, and it's basically, I am the boss, you do what I tell you, here are the rules, you go outside of it, there's going to be extreme discipline. They demand obedience, they use force, seeking compliance, and today, uh, thankfully, corporal punishment, which is using a belt or an object to hit a child, is illegal in most states, if not all states in the United States. However, spanking is legal if it is done to teach and it doesn't leave marks and it's not done out of anger. That's in most states in the United States. I cannot speak for all. Now, the message that an authoritarian parent is saying is, listen to me, I know what's best. There are no other options. The child tends to be submissive as a response. They tend to be uh, dependent, unable to make decisions, and low self-esteem. That means they never individuate. And unfortunately, an authoritarian uh, parent will not allow a child to develop their own personality. Everything has to be filtered through their own permission as if they own them. The child may rebel and hide their true feelings. They feel anxious. They seek revenge. They have a deep, deep anger. They give up on themselves quite frequently. They lack confidence. And they just believe themselves to be a failure. And unfortunately, this parenting style uh, will breed itself. It means that it will carry itself forward to the next generation, the next generation, because these kids live for 18 years under this kind of authoritarianism. They find it comfortable at some point, and then they go seek it elsewhere because that's what they're familiar with. To get a person outside of this parenting style calls for a very strong partner to force the authoritarian person that has learned authoritarianism to actually back off and try to learn what, what is healthy. And hopefully there are they marry somebody like that. Unfortunately, many authoritarians just power struggle with their partners all the time. All right, now the other more dangerous, also most dangerous, is permissive parenting. That means there's no structure. They just set few, if no, limits for their children. They put children's needs before their own. They want to be the child's best friend. They don't want to be their parent. They'd rather be their best friends. They abdicate their power, and they do not encourage responsibility or self-discipline. They tend to cover up what the child has done and, oh, I'll forgive you, and, oh, there's no discipline. Oh, you know that was a bad thing. But they don't really take it seriously. They just love their child so much. They just want to be their best friend. They just want to be accepted so bad that they can't put the consequence of being a parent in front of them. And that's because of their own deep insecurity of not being loved unconditionally. Now, this child often has poorly developed inner inner limits with difficulty of self-control. And what that, you know, that's a lot of lingo. But what it really means is they don't know how to say no. They tend to be extremely impulsive. They tend to be extremely uh, 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 independent and and make decisions based on feelings instead of thoughts. And so, unfortunately, they live a life that is not got a lot of guidance to it. It doesn't have a lot of direction. This kind of permissive role model, sadly, uh, will lead a child to spend many, many years and do a lot of damage to their life without giving it a, giving that child a sense of grabbing on and taking responsibility. And let's face it, in this country, if we don't take responsibility for our lives, ultimately, we end up finding ourselves in some very miserable experiences. 
The, the child also has unlicensed freedom and is and it's overwhelming for them. Also, the sad truth is, is that children respond to structure. Structure means love. If, if a parent takes the time to create a structure, meaning a schedule in which they live by, th- you know, a reward system, if, if they tend to correspond with their child in a, in a very strong developmental way, trying to guide them, then what tends to happen is the child feels loved more than anything. And they thrive in that. Unfortunately, uh, some people just give unlicensed freedom. They are overwhelmed and they feel almost rejected by their parents as if they don't care. Now, the true parenting style that, that, that works best in this world, in this, this United States, and, and this is a global economy, I would su- suggest many parts of the world this works extremely well. And that is called a rational parenting style, where parents and children share power and together establish and uphold rules to protect the rights of every family member. That means family rules. We have family rules. That means we're teaching values, not just to one, but to all. And it also facilitates, and I'm not suggesting that the children have more power than the parents. I'm suggesting that they have an opinion that is heard and validated. I understand. I hear what you're saying. So what you want is this. I understand that. Having parents that are willing to listen and gain input from their children is extremely important. Unfortunately, families don't sit together and have dinner anymore. They all sit around watching television or playing video games or they have their own little world. Sometimes they even make their own dinners. And the, the, you know, dinner time is powerful because that is a time where they set these rules and they really begin to develop values. And without that dialogue, a lot of things fall apart. Now, also, a rational parenting style facilitates development of the child's self-esteem, creativity, and independence. That means that they are heard. They are respected. They have a voice. They have an opinion. Everybody may not agree with them, but they feel like they are someone. They have power, and they begin to understand that they have some control of their life. That's huge. If you want someone to be responsible, they need to trust themselves. And that's what this rational parenting style does. It also fosters intellectual growth, but it takes more work. And it's, it's democratic justice, but it, you know, it works. Now, here's, you know, parenting to the age is what I, I wanted to get to because that is how we need to understand our children. Parenting to a child's age, first of all, One of the things that we all should learn from the great game called Monopoly is to give our children a get-out-of-free card, and they need to earn it. But a get-out-of-jail-free card means there is forgiveness for certain things. It's not to be used for things like hitting, pushing, bad words, injuring animals or people. But it can be used for things like not picking up your room or forgetting to do something. It's something where they can have a chance to be forgiven, and that's a huge lesson for children. Also, uh, you know, talking back to parents, uh, leaving without parental permission would be something that you would not want to give to this child. But it's something to give for one time only or to give after they've earned it. Oh, and that means earn it. That means lots of things need to be done to earn it. You can't just give it to them automatically. Children at ages zero to two, here's some things that I believe will help you enormously. First of all, we need to remove or elevate all valuable or dangerous objects because they'll either be eaten or destroyed. We need to say no 
calmly and remove the child from the area. Don't yell a no. You're just going to scare the child. No. And then remove the child from the area. Timeouts should be no more than one to two minutes. And usually that's for hitting, biting, or throwing. Children from zero to two, and I would suggest any child, do not understand spanking. And, you know, quite frankly, if you're going to hit your child, you're just teaching them to hit. It's, it's, uh, it's a lazy parent's form of parenting, and it's unnecessary in this day and age. I would hope that all of us are smarter than that. To learn to spank your children is not such a great thing to do. It can be done on a periodic basis if it's the last you know, ditch effort, but don't do it in anger. Don't ever do it in anger. And you got to remember, your, your children are learning by watching you. And that means if you expect them to put their toys away, you need to put your own toys away. <laughs> and so, a lot of the people as parents don't apply the same standards to themselves. Now, ages three to five, you need to make sure to tell children how to use choice, toys and what they're for before they start using them, such as crayons, balls, uh, you know, Candyland, whatever the games are that they're playing, anything they're going to play outside, they need to be taught how to use these. A lot of parents, they just get the satisfaction of going out and buying something for their children, but they don't really teach them how to use them. And unfortunately, children use them in ways that are very destructive or could hurt them. Uh, you know, children attach to objects from three to five, and they may attach to an object in a strange way because they're never really taught how to use the toy. Also, establish I, set the rules, and you accept the consequences. Your opinion counts, but I'm the final word. I set the rules, you accept the consequences. And do not discipline a child in front of other children. That is humiliating and is very difficult. And developmentally, it's horrible for a child. Unfortunately, in this day and age, a lot of people still do that. They'll punish their children in front of children. And that is almost like a double punishment. If you punish a child, do it at a time and a place where it's not in front of everybody. Take them aside, take them away, and punish them there. Don't do it in front of everybody else. That is so humiliating and so sad. But you do need to establish, once again, I am the final word. I want to hear you, but you need to accept the consequences when I set them. And that is called structure. That is not evil. That is not bad. That is just good parenting. And if you're going to say, you know, good job, and think that you're praising a child just by saying good job, that's not it. You need to tell them what you're proud of. If they don't understand what they've done to make you proud, they never learn the lesson. If they, you know, hit a home run or, you know, you know run around the track or, or do something they haven't done before, you need to tell them what they've done that is the good job. Because once again, kids respond to that kind of praise enormously. Lots of parents forget this. Tell them what they've done and then reward them. And reward doesn't mean monetary, buying. It could mean, you know, 15 minutes more of a cartoon or whatever, bedtime, uh, Whatever, get a dessert, something, something that gives them, and usually with children this age, immediate satisfaction is better than no satisfaction, than later satisfaction. You want to, you want to praise them and reward them immediately if you can. 
Okay. When you are punishing, you need to state the behavior that you are punishing and you need to state the right thing to do. And before you punish, what you want to do is say, I, you're yelling and screaming. I'm going to count to three. And by the end of the count to three, I'm going to take your, you know, whatever, their video game away. One, two, and three. And by the time you get to three, what you've done is you've given them the option to change their behavior. And that is called emotional intelligence. We're teaching them to manage their emotions. And most children, if the consequences are strong enough, they will follow what their parents have to say. The other thing is children are terrible about putting things away as we as our adults. And one of the great family rules is to set a box out in the garage or set it away somewhere. And basically, if anybody has left anything out, shoes, toys, whatever, throw it in the box. Throw it in the box. And if anybody wants anything out of that box, they have to clean up the entire box and put everything in the box away. And usually kids that have left things out that they really, really want and really, really need they're going to have to clean up the entire box. And by doing that, you're teaching them to put things away for themselves. That box can be, it's obviously probably got to be fairly big, but that box can be a ex- very incredible, strong, incredibly strong lesson for the children. Now, also, children three to five, it's great to put like on a calendar and say, okay, here's, Four things that you have to do this week. And if you, you know, if you talk back or if you hit or if you, if, you know, if you throw a temper tantrum, whatever, then I'm not going to reward you. But each day that goes by that you don't do these three things, I'm going to, we're going to put, have you put a smiley face on the calendar. You could have them put a star on the calendar, whatever. But also, if they have a bad day, to put a sad face. So what you want is three to five days where they're actually, if they've done something good, where they've had three days of not doing the bad behaviors, then give them a reward at the end. If they have not done all those things and they've got a lot of sad or flat faces, then what we basically want to do is take something away each day that they do that. So there is a reward for the positives if you've done it for three to five days or take away each day that they've had a bad day. Each day at the very end of the day, it's very important to reach that calendar for each child and go through, did, have you had it? Did you meet all the things that you said you would meet? Not cry, not, excuse me, crying is not a problem, but, you know, talking back, hitting, whatever. Okay, now also timeouts for three to five is important. Timeouts should be the age of the child, one minute for every year. Also, take away bedtime. Bedtime is so important to children. If you force them to go to bed earlier than they want to go to bed, that will drive them crazy. And if there's a computer, TV, video game in the room, it's not the right uh, signal to send them unless you take those away too. If you're going to have them in the room, take them away. Take them away as a discipline. You want to know what your children's commodities are, meaning the things they value the most, because those are the things that you, you use to negotiate good behavior. And also, you also want to tell them the right thing to do before punishing and that you want to be able to trust them. I want to trust you, so please show me you can do this. Tell them what your ultimate goal is and you reward them. This is so important at three to five. Reward them for telling the truth. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back to ages six to eight. Thank you all for listening. I look forward to talking with you soon. Just come right back. 
Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough. But if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the Email Host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology. Hi, and thanks for coming back. All right, this is Dr. Gary Bell. We're going back into uh, parenting at the ages of six to eight. Now, this stage is so important because kids at this age want to prove to their parents how good they are. There's a lot of lying that takes place during this phase because kids want to make sure that their parents think they are a great child, think they have great judgment, think they do great things, and unfortunately, a lot of mistakes get made, and they don't want to break that image of their parents. Their parents begin to lose trust because of the lying, but that, once again, is because they look up to their parents at this phase so strongly that they want to make sure to please them. Unfortunately, their motivator is to please the parent during this phase rather than to do it for themselves. We really want to get them to begin to do things for themselves and not for us. So, ages six to eight, you know, timeouts are like hell on earth for a child like this. And once again, it's one minute for every year of life. A timeout is an eternity for a child at this age because they are in their head so much. They are so creative at this phase of life. There are so many things they want to do. Their energy is at their peak. They're really wanting to get out there and explore Uh, They may want to get into a video game, which doesn't sound like a lot of energy, but it is. It requires a lot of brain energy, and they need to spend it. And so putting them in a timeout is very, very difficult at a child at this age because there's a lot of thought process that goes on. So here's the deal. 
we want to make sure that their structure is filled with chores. And that doesn't mean they're slave labor. What I'm talking about is setting four to five very important chores that they do every day. And alternating chores sometimes, I believe, is not a good idea. Giving them the same set of chores to do every day and having a standard of how that chore is to be performed is much better than alternating them because alternating them kids have a very low uh, attention span to things they don't want to do and they tend not to do them if they don't habitualize so we want to develop some habits and that gets more consistency and that delivers the child into uh, performing the chores more often and being a part of the family you know so you know the, be careful also with unrealistic threats you know take away they're most trusted objects if you need to. But the deal is, if you're going to be crazy about your expectation, like, you know, some people are obsessive compulsive and they want, like, the bathroom clean to, the, to a certain detail down to, you know, sparkling everywhere. That may be a little bit crazy for a kid at this age. And some parents are so obsessed with the way they want things that they tend to be a little bit unrealistic and tend to be overbearing about chores. So setting the standard, you need to be reasonable, first of all, when you go into a chore. But also when they don't perform the chore, you need to take the things away that you have said you would take away. Um, you know, make sure to tell them what they didn't do. Show them again what they didn't do so they learn and don't repeat the pattern of not doing it. You know, your credibility as a parent is based on your follow-through. And that means following through with teaching them the right way to do it, not just telling them how bad they are and how wrong they've done it. You know, going back to what we did with three to five, stars on the calendar still works. Drawing smiley faces on the calendar still works at this age. So having days like seven days where it's gone by and you have done everything you're supposed to do, you've got smiley faces on the calendar across the board. That's incredible. Here's the reward. And you want to give them what the reward's going to be before the end of the week, especially at the first of the week. Okay, we're going to go to the park. Okay, we're going to go get a pizza. Whatever it is that is the reward. And like I said, it doesn't have to be money. Okay, you can stay up an hour later on Saturday night. Whatever that is, it's important for us to follow through with that and give them that positive that's almost more important than the consequential horrible thing. You did this bad thing and, and yelling and screaming and doing this Broadway production for these children. It's more important to give them the positive at this stage because they want to please you and you want to be pleased. So you don't want to have a negative rapport with your child. Also, make school their job. That is your job. And you need to be accountable for that. When you're at school, you are at work. I want you to play. I want you to have fun. I want you to do a whole lot of things. I want you to make friends. But above all, I need you to get this work done. This work is one of your chores. And that is an extremely important lesson that a child needs to learn that you're just because you're at school doesn't mean you don't work. You do work. That is your job. And you need to play an active role in their education and with their teachers. If you don't take serious their homework and their teachers and spend time at their school, they don't feel like school is important. And a lot of parents just leave it to the school to raise their kids. And it's so sad to see that. But basically, they don't pay attention. And uh, they just unplug. And that lesson needs to be learned. If you want your child to do well at school, 
the best thing you could possibly do is be engaged with school and the teachers. Okay, and you also want to make sure they know you believe that they are a good person and they may do bad things, but they are a good person. You believe in them. That is huge for a child. Once again, we're talking about ages 6 to 8. Now, ages 9 to 12, we need to, to teach children to deal with their choices. Now what we're doing is, is, is teaching them not only are their values, but we're watching them use them. And they can do a bad thing or they can do a good thing. What we want them to do is you have a choice. You can make a bad choice or you can make a good choice. If you make a good choice, here's the reward. You make a bad choice, here's the consequence. Let them make the choice. And if they make the bad choice, give them the consequence. Therefore, they're beginning to learn autonomy. And that is important to individuality. They need to know what potential consequences will be for both doing the positive and doing the negative. Now, on my website, it's www.drgbmft.com, I have what's called a behavior contract, responsibility contract. And, and what you want to do is list three to five bad things and three to five soul-stealing consequences and a reward. And basically, what you want to do is they do one of these three or five bad things. I'm going to take this. If you do another one of these, I'm going to take this. Another one, this is what's going to go. And by the time you get down to the last thing, then, you know, you get to the last thing, and then you have a, even an ulterior, you know, ulterior, an alternative uh, consequence that is deep and hurtful to the child. But we're not talking about pain. What we're talking about is taking away, taking away freedom, taking away time, taking away objects that they're at attached to. This is important to do. Behavior contracts mean the parent is not the bad guy. If they sign that contract, that means they're responsible to not do those bad things and they are responsible if they lose those things. You really don't have to have a dialogue when you're taking things away from a child with a behavior contract. Now, also, you need to have a reward system if they do everything right in the contract. And the contract needs to be revisited on a continuous basis. Also, natural consequences are not doing homework will result in a bad grade. You set up a reward and punishment system based on their grades. This is important also. And don't rescue children from their mistakes at this age unless it's life-threatening. Let them fail and give them consequences. That's how they learn. We learn from failure. Many people are afraid to fail, but failure is a good thing and it is an opportunity to learn. Now, ages 13 and up, boundaries mean you care. You need to set them and implement. You need to be flexible and give some control. They need to have control of their room, some control of their clothes, their hair, that kind of stuff. And that's because they need to become their own person. However, you do want to set boundaries. Okay, you can wear this, but you can hear, your hair needs to be you know, only so long or only so short. You know, you have the right and you should be setting those things, but don't be over strenuous. Let them have individuality. Set up rules around homework. This is 13 and up, grades, visits by people to the home, behavior reports from school, talking back, chores, things they can control. Homework, grades, visits to the home by friends, behavior reports, talking back, chores. Once again, they can control that. And that's what we want to focus our, our discipline on. We want to focus on the positives at 13 and up. And it's hard to because they have a lot of attitude. 
But low self-esteem means they will not take initiative. And the last thing you want is a child with no initiative, no self-esteem. So we want to focus on what they're capable of and encourage them and give them chances for little victories. And, and little victories can be as simple as, as a good day, a good day where they've done everything and then you reward them. That begins the momentum that we're looking for. They need to have the option to do the good thing and the bad thing. And once again, that behavior contract. Now, here's some do's and don'ts overall in parenting. Hitting with objects is corporal punishment and illegal in most states, if not all states in the United States. Do not ever hit your child with an object. That immediately will break the law. And a lot of people, unfortunately, do not understand that. Also, listen, this is a do's and don'ts. Spanking teaches that it's okay to hit when you're angry and should be not done in any home, but especially, let's say, in a foster care environment. That is not something that anybody should be doing. It can reinitiate fear and past trauma from spanking, and, ang- and spanking and anger is abuse. According to the state, any what state you live in, spanking can be illegal, period. But some states, it is not illegal. So, you know, you need to check your, check your state law. But I will tell you, if you do it out of anger, it is illegal. Once again, spanking is done to teach. Also, there's no pinching, twisting, or physical threats on children. That is abuse. And it should not be done. Pinching, twisting, or physical threats. And remember, the need for negative attention can be a cry for help. Also, some of the dumbest, here, you know, <laughs> just to add some levity here, here's some of the dumbest things you, you may have done as a child. Prank call 911. Pooping in the bathtub after laughing when the bubbles came up and then get scared by the floating turd and throw it on the carpet. <laughs> Asking your mother if she wanted to shag after watching Austin Powers. <laughs> Showing your parents your first boner. <laughs> and thinking your mom's mace in her purse was perfume and using it. Now, that is the parenting show today, and I would like to get some feedback from all of you. Now, what we're going to discuss in some later shows is sex and relationships, how to keep it up. Also, I'm going to be with Dr. Wayne McAfee on a incredible show called Organizational Psychology, and this show in particular is about our work life. And it's important to understand how businesses operate, the day and age that we work in. He consults with massive amounts of corporation, how to organize, how to hire executives, how to hire employees, the psychology, team building. He, he literally breaks down the business environments and rebuilds businesses and helps them thrive in this day and age. And this show is a very rare glimpse at that. But the fact is, most of us that work full-time spend more time at work than we do with our own families. And so I felt, and I still believe, that this show is one of the most important shows to help us understand how to adapt and work in that work environment and also make ourselves more motivated for us and make us a better part of our businesses that we work for. We're going to have childhood issues called Prozac Moments, Personality disorders, can't you find a UFO to haul your ass back home? Suicide, death, and grieving, the art of living miserably. We're also going to do crisis intervention 
and Wellness with Dr. Nancy Bull. So these are shows that are coming up. That's our show. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to I want to hear from you and I want to get your feedback. DRGBMFT at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now remember, be nice to your children for they will choose your nursing home. That's Phyllis Diller. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.